to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church right here in Spencer, Iowa, and we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, coming to you this Wednesday, the 1st of December, 2021, as we begin our midweek Advent series this evening. And our midweek Advent series this year is on the profound mystery of marriage. Also, that word mystery can be translated from the Latin sacrament, the profound sacrament of marriage. And so we're going to look at what St. Paul says about marriage in Ephesians 5 and see why he calls it a profound mystery, a sacrament. Now, to our Lutheran understanding, it's not a sacrament as like baptism or the Lord's Supper. But why does Paul call it a profound mystery, a sacrament. And that's what we're going to look at here in the sermon from Ephesians 5 and also Genesis 1 and 2, and also a little bit, even though it's not in the readings, from the Passion of John, the Passion according to John. Now, as I said, this midweek Advent series is on the profound mystery of marriage. Tonight, we're going to be focusing on marriage. Next week, we'll be on husbands, and the week after that, we'll be on wives. And then that one will round out our midweek Advent series. And with all of that, let us begin our Vesper service with the opening hymn. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants, round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. The Old Testament lesson for this marriage season of the midweek of Odd Tale of Ave is written in the first and second chapters of Genesis, beginning at the 26th verse. God said, Let's make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In God's image he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb yielding seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree which bears fruit yielding seed. It will be your food, to every animal of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The Lord God took the man, and put him in the garden of Eden, to work and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature became its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every animal of the field. But for man there was not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. As the man slept, he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh in its place. The Lord God made a woman from the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, because she is taken out of man. Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother, and will join with his wife, and they will be one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. 
O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, beginning at the thirty-first verse. For this cause a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife. Then the two will become one flesh. This mystery is great, and I speak concerning Christ and of the church. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Alleluia. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the priestly division of Abijah. He had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, because your request has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to prepare a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure of this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day comes that these things will happen, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias, and they marveled when he delayed in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. He continued making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his service were fulfilled, he departed to his house. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus has the Lord done to me in the days in which he looked at me, to take away my reproach among men. Now the time that Elizabeth should give birth was fulfilled, and she gave birth to a son. 
Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had magnified his mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have him called Zacharias, after the name of his father. His mother answered, Not so, but he will be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. They made signs to his father what he would have him called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. They all marveled. His mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue freed, and he spoke, blessing God. Fear came on all who lived around them, and all these sayings were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? The hand of the Lord was with him. His father Zecharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant to us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, should serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins." because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child was growing and becoming strong in spirit, and was in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Here ends the Gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, The Lord our Righteousness. In his days shall Judah be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Paul tells us from our Ephesians passage, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Did you catch what St. Paul said there? Did you hear what St. Paul just called marriage? He said that about marriage, this mystery is profound. Now, mystery is a word that comes from the Greek word mysterion. It's where we get our word for mystery. But the Latin word for this Greek is sacramentum. The Latin word for mystery is sacramentum. It's where we get our word from sacrament. 
So St. Paul is saying, in effect, marriage, this sacrament, is profound. He outright calls marriage a sacrament here, which is interesting. If we were to check the small catechisms in your hymnals, or if you have your small catechism by you in a small catechism book, and if you were to go to the sacrament section, you would find baptism, you'd find confession and absolution, you'd find the Lord's Supper. But marriage? That's nowhere to be found. And yet, St. Paul here calls marriage a sacrament, a profound mystery. So how do we Lutherans, how do we reconcile this? Because hearing St. Paul and then Luther, we can't help but ask, is marriage a sacrament? And to answer that question, we really have to go back to the part that St. Paul is quoting. And not just the verse that St. Paul is quoting, but back to the creation of man as found in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. Because that's what he's pointing us back to. So as St. Paul points us back to Genesis 1, we see right there the creation of man, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As we look at the creation account, what we realize is that from eternity, God was alone, having unity only with himself. And yet, God was not alone, but in that unity has always been the eternal communion of the three persons of the Godhead. And so God was, from eternity, as mysterious as this is to us, one in three and three in one. Unity and community and community and unity. And then, from eternity, God created with his spirit and his word, which is what all Genesis 1 is about. Out of the love within the triune God, love which filled his unity and community, from that love, the triune God created all things through his word and in his spirit. He created all things so that he may love his creation by pouring himself out entirely for it, so he may sacrifice his whole self for this creation which he created out of love. Throughout all Genesis 1, we get a glimpse of how God created. But it isn't until verse 26, which we just read from, where we get a rare snapshot of the Trinity speaking within himself. You see, so important was the creation of mankind that God reveals his internal dialogue to us that led to our creation. What made this so important was that mankind would be the only part of God's entire creation throughout all the cosmos which would bear his likeness and image. And so God created mankind in his own image. And now notice how mankind was created in the image of God. Notice how God did this. He didn't create mankind in his image as isolated individuals. He created mankind in his image as male and female. All of mankind made up of made up of only male and female, from conception, was made in the image of God. But this also means that male and female, united as one in marriage, was also created in the image of God. And so, yes, it can be said that we all bear the image of God in our creation. But we don't bear that image of God outside of our being male or female in how he created us. He created us male and female. 
that's how we are in the image of God, male and female as a race and within marriage. In marriage, there is the community of two souls, two spirit in the unity of one flesh. How does mankind in marriage bear the image of God? Well, take note. God, in the love of his unity and community, creates. Mankind, in the love of marital unity and community, procreates. God has unlimited dominion over all things. Mankind, as male and female, have dominion over his creation. God is infinite in his wisdom and intelligence. Mankind, in the image of God, within creation, is likewise rational, but only within the wisdom and intelligence of creation. We are not gods, but we are in the image of God. But you see, the true image of God rests not really in those things, but in the soul of mankind. When the will of mankind is the will of God, when mankind knows God intimately, then mankind is righteous, true, upright, loving God with all heart and soul, and is fully in God's image. The image of God can only rest in the soul of mankind, and the image of God can then in the physical bodies of man. There, in the physical bodies, the, the image of man is made manifest in love and procreation, dominion and reason. All those things we listened before is the manifestation of that image of God in us. Then as we go to Genesis 2, which Paul quotes from, we get an up-close look at how God created mankind in his image. After creating man, creating man with his word, with the dust of the earth, with the water of the earth, with the spirit of life. After creating man, Genesis 2 goes on to say, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In the creation of the first man is contained the entirety of the image of God and the entirety of mankind. But as this one man stands alone by himself, Neither mankind or the image of God is yet whole. So it is not good for man to be alone, not in that it is evil, but, that, but in that mankind and the image of God are yet to be made whole, while Adam is alone. Which is why God parades every creature before the man, not only to show the dominion that man is to have and to exercise, but also to show the man that he is not to share that dominion that image of God with any creature before him. For man is not to find companionship or wholeness in any part of creation which does not bear the image of God within him. And notice then how God makes his image whole in mankind. He puts the man into a deep sleep, a kind of death, 
and from this death will come his companion, his helper. And from the rib of his side is woman created. From the rib, notice. Not from the head, because the man is not to have dominion over his wife as he has over creation. And not from the foot, for man is not to be dominated by his wife. But God takes from the side of man, showing they are to be compatible equals, which make up the image of God. Like the rib, the woman is to help man by protecting his heart. And the man is to treat the woman like he does his rib, with his arm over her, protecting her, providing for her. And with this, the man gives the order of marriage in the image of God. After a man is conceived and born and raised in the household of his parents, he is then to leave his father and mother and cling to, that is, to be made one flesh with his wife, whom God has given to him. With the creation of woman from man, the image of God is made whole in mankind. But while that image is made whole, it doesn't mean that the image is fulfilled. While the creation of mankind made creation whole, the creation of mankind was not the fulfillment of creation. The fulfillment of creation was yet to come. And we know this because if creation was to be made whole by mankind, then God would not have told the creature and man and woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. If creation was fulfilled, if it had reached its peak and was finished, God would not have commanded that they be fruitful and multiply. But since creation was awaiting to be fulfilled, God commanded this. He made it part of our nature to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What we see is that creation would not be fulfilled until the image was fulfilled by what it was an image of, by the original. Yet all the same, mankind would lose the image of God in the fall, as creation in the serpent became possessed by the devil and rose against mankind, as the woman desired to be God and ate, and as man abdicated his duty and ate at her command. And notice as God confronted man on their sin, Notice how Adam even tries to send back his wife to God, almost like a divorce, saying, the woman whom you gave to be with me, you gave to be with me, kind of sending her back. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So the image of God is lost in mankind in that man's will is no longer God's will. The love of God in man has been turned inwards on himself. And this lost image of God is manifested in the man trying to send his wife back, and man no longer loving his spouse, man no longer having dominion over creation, man no longer being rational, but mad with fear. And God's curse to mankind after this hits him where the image of God was supposed to be manifested. In the procreation of mankind, which was supposed to pass along God's image to children, instead that's replaced by the pain of childbirth. In the creation of which man was to work and be knowledgeable, man no longer has dominion and no longer is intelligent or rational about the creation he was supposed to be over. Instead, the curse of man is that creation would be against him, as shown in the curse of the thorns and the thistles. Instead, the curse of man would only be completed in death, where man is dust that is returned into the dust of the earth. The image of God was lost in the first Adam and could no longer be fulfilled in the first Adam. But in the curse of the serpent is the promise to mankind. When he tells the serpent 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, that is, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman, will come one who will crush the headship and rule of the serpent over creation. In the virgin conception of our Lord was the hope of mankind. The image of God was lost in the first man, but the image of God would be restored to mankind and fulfilled in the flesh in this second man, this second Adam, created by the word of God through the angel and the spirit falling upon Mary. Christ, in his incarnation, restores the image of God in whole to the flesh of man. Christ, in his incarnation, was always meant to be the fulfillment of the image of God in the flesh of man. And as such, notice how the order of marriage in Genesis, in Genesis 2, becomes the order of our salvation in the Passion, according to John. Born of the Virgin and raised by Joseph, Christ came to adulthood. And coming to adulthood, he would go on to wear the crown of thorns, taking upon himself in that crown of thorns the curse meant for Adam and all born in the image of the first Adam. As the crown of thorns is pushed onto his head, there he begins to take the curse of the first Adam unto himself. He carried that curse to Golgotha and was nailed to that curse as he was nailed to the cross. For those of us born in the, first, in the image of the first Adam, there is Christ on the cross taking Adam's curse and ours as he hangs there and bleeds. But as he hangs there, notice the order of salvation. For it was there on the cross where Christ left his mother, giving her to his beloved disciple and his beloved disciple to her, so that he may leave his mother to cling to his bride, his bride that was about to be created. See on the cross as the Lord gives up his spirit and enters into the deep sleep of death. See also as he hangs there dead, how the soldier pierces the spear into his side, not into his skull, not into his feet, into his side. See him also be brought down from the cross and be put into the earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, taking the curse of mankind. But as our Lord is in the deep sleep of death, do you see what comes from his side? Not a rib, but all his blood and water poured out from his flesh. For it is not by his rib, but by his blood, his blood which contains his life, which is how his bride is to be created. His bride is created by his blood, his life. In the blood and water which flows from our Lord's side, Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ in the church. From the blood and water out of our Lord's side is created the bride of Christ in the waters of baptism. In the waters of the font, you were baptized from the waters out of Christ's side. You were baptized with the blood out of Christ's side. You who were dust are recreated by the waters and the blood of Christ's side. And in those waters, you are given the spirit which Christ breathed out on the cross and breathed into you at the font. By being given his life in his blood, which cleanses you, you are recreated in the waters, the blood, the spirit, and the words of Christ, which say, it is finished. That is, it is fulfilled. And in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
With these words, not only are you restored into the image of God, you are restored into the image of God which has been fulfilled in the flesh by the Son of God. That is to say, with these words at your baptism, with these words in the waters, you were created anew as part of the church, the bride of Christ. So that when you were baptized, what Christ said as he looked at you was, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and we could add, and spirit of my spirit. For you see, with our spouse in this life, we are made one in the flesh. But with Christ in the waters of baptism, we are wed with Christ so that we are one with him, not just in the flesh, but in the spirit. We are one in spirit with Christ so that the intimacy we have being wedded to Christ in baptism is far, far deeper than the intimacy we have being wedded to our spouse here on earth. The intimacy of receiving the Lord's body and blood at the altar is far deeper than the intimacy you have with those that you share the flesh with here in this life. This is what Paul meant when he said marriage is a profound mystery or a profound sacrament. Because this image of Christ and the church is the image of God fulfilled. The the sacrament of marriage, as Paul puts it, is our life in baptism, in the word, and in the flesh and blood at the altar. The profound mystery, sacrament of marriage, is Christ in the church. It's the word and the sacraments. Which is why Paul also says, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects, that is, submits, to her husband. In this sacrament of marriage, as Paul puts it, this image of God, this image of Christ in the church, is our very salvation. How we live our marriages, then, is a confession of this image. What we say about marriage, how we live about marriage, is a confession of this image of Christ in the church. Let us then, in daily repentance, live within this image of our salvation. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Let my prayer be set before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Alleluia. to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Alleluia. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord God of our fathers, and greatly to be praised and glorified forever. Bless we the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we praise and magnify him forever. Blessed art thou, O Lord, in the firmament of heaven, and greatly to be praised and glorified and highly exalted forever. The Almighty and merciful Lord, bless and preserve us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Stir up, we beseech you, your power, O Lord, and come that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of marriage, where you join together a man and a woman in love for each other and, when it is your will, to become a father and a mother. Strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we lead a pure and decent life in what we say and do and grow to be faithful husbands and wives who love and honor our spouses. Heavenly Father, who sent our Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified for us and raised again from the dead, who of a truth loves purity and chastity both within and without the holy bonds of wedlock, unto you we pray. Incline unto chastity the hearts and thoughts of all who call upon you. Defend and uphold all the laws and bonds of matrimony. Hinder and repress the devil, who from hatred and jealousy of God seeks to lead humanity unto manifold uncleanness so as to overthrow us thereby. You know how in these days our nature grows ever weak, while the assault and folly of our enemies waxes daily greater. For they know that judgment must soon come, when their sin and shame shall be revealed before the eyes of men and angels. Therefore, Heavenly Father, through your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified and did rise again from the dead for our sake, we beseech you so to rule and govern us, our youth, our homes, and our children, and to move and incline our hearts unto chastity and unto sincere prayer. Heavenly Father, by your creation and in the fulfillment of that creation in the life and death of your Son, we see in marriage the great mystery between Christ and his bride, the Church. As your Son blessed and honored marriage with his presence and first sign and wonder at Cana in Galilee, so bless and honor our marriages with your constant presence and coming to us at the altar of our homes and at the altar of our gathering together here at the Church. Help us to commend the marriage estate, as St. Paul did, as good and honorable. Let none of our youth, therefore, enter into this estate inadvisably or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes by which you instituted it, and after the image of Christ and the Church, whom fulfill it. God of all grace, out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, you have given us life and commanded us not to hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. Teach us to care for all unborn children whom you have created in your image. Endue the Supreme Court of our lands at this time with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, so that all life may be protected and all children may be nurtured and cherished, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that all those who would end defenseless lives in the womb would be brought to justice. Grant your forgiveness to all mothers who have considered abortion or have suffered through an abortion. Provide for the needs of body and soul and for all mothers, and surround all mothers and fathers of children in or outside the womb with those who will rejoice in those children. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the Sixth Commandment, you teach us that marriage is your gift to us, where a man and a woman are brought together in love to become one flesh, when it is your will for receiving the gift of children. Thank you for this wonderful gift to us. Forgive us for every sin against marriage and the sixth commandment. Uphold all husbands and wives in their marriages. Give them faithfulness to your word. Teach them to live according to your will. Strengthen them to live in your love for each other 
and enable them to live sexually pure and decent lives in everything that they say and do as husbands and wives. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Our God shall come. Alleluia. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee, we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast so graciously protected us this day, and we beseech thee to forgive us all our sins and the wrong which we have done, and by thy great mercy, defend us from all the perils and dangers of this night. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
Thank you to everyone who joined us for this midweek Advent Vesper service on the in our marriage series that we're going through this year. Please join us this Sunday for our Matin service celebrating Populus Zion, that is the second Sunday of Advent. And please join us next week as well for our second midweek Advent Vesper service that continues to focus on the profound mystery of marriage as we focus on the role of husbands. We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church or CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for the podcast or want to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses listed at the top of the bulletin. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.